Hello, and welcome to Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we have been interviewing politicians, activists, advocates, and others since 2016 with the intention of ennobling public service, creating a platform for positive civil discourse, and facilitating dialogue with difference. This show is the antidote for those who are tired of hearing about what's going wrong with the world. We showcase people just like you who are working to leave the world better than they found it. And that's good news. And now a word from former President John F. Kennedy with his views on public service. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I'll remind you that this show is made possible by viewers like you. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Public Interest Podcast and enjoy this episode, please contribute $1 at publicinterestpodcast.com. And to express our gratitude, we offer a few freebies to our supporters. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. We're here today with Brent Sullivan, founder of three related uh, companies. First, Time on the Hill, started in 2012, an educational platform to help people serve in Congress as staff. He's also the founder of Placement with a Purpose, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing free services to veterans, minorities, and those of low socioeconomic status. Finally, Brent is the founder of Hill Talent, a staffing firm for Capitol Hill Placement. He's also a former congressional uh, staffer himself for Republican Congressman Murphy from Pennsylvania and Republican Congressman Burgess from Texas. Brent, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent. The first question I'd like to pose to you is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and why? So the process of getting a job in Congress can be um, unbelievably frustrating. And yet, I do believe, even though at a national level there's a lot of turmoil and people have mixed views about Congress, I believe that it's unbelievably important. Mm -hmm. And so for me, in 2012, I cared about health care and I also cared about the national debt. And I was 28 years old at the time and said, I've always wanted to work on the Hill. This is the time. And let me try to get up there and be a part of the solution. So over the last three, four, five years, I have helped hundreds of people follow that path, as thousands and thousands of staffers have over the last many, 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 many years. And and these folks end up in positions where they can work on the solutions. They can work on health care. They can work on helping veterans, education policy, foreign affairs. And so... um, To the extent that I'm able to share my experience with candidates, Mm -hmm. I can help them get up on the hill, try to make it an easier, softer path uh, so that you don't have to, as a candidate, experience the frustration that I felt when I was trying to get up to the Congress. Now, you were originally motivated to come to Congress as a staffer to work on particular policy issues. Obviously, right now, your time is not spent working on policy issues, but rather facilitating others' entrance into the world of policy. Could you speak about your transition from become, from being a congressional staffer to creating your own staffing firms and how you led from originally being interested in working on policy yourself to helping others follow the same path that you once trod? I get an interview request, and I go to the office, and I do the writing test, and I submit my materials, and they bring me in, and they say, Brent, we have good news and we have bad news. The good news is you're a good writer, and we could use you. The bad news is, at the time, Congress was going through a 5% and 6% staffing cut Mm -hmm. in terms of their budget. So they said, Brent, you're a good writer. 
we had an open position last week. Now the budgets are cut. So sorry, the position is now gone. And I said, I'll do it anyway. I, I wanted to get on the Hill that badly mm-hmm. that I said, if you will allow me do, to do the writing, I will get experience. I will get the badge. I'll get the email address. I will have an office to go to so that I can get my feet on the ground and get going. And they said, are you serious? I said, yes. If, if you'll have me, I will do the writing. And I did all of the executive correspondence for the office. That office was excellent. There very little turmoil, mm-hmm. smooth glide. And then I go to my next office. It's a paid position. I'm focusing on health care and the office. Oh, you in- wanted a paycheck, did you? I- <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was willing to pay my dues, mm-hmm. but I had a goal, and that was to become a paid, bona fide Hill staffer. And so I have this opportunity, and that environment was totally different from my first office. The second office, it was turmoil all the time. Mm-hmm. After one year, I said to myself, I can help one guy keep a job, or I can help hundreds and hundreds of people get a job. If that second office had been smooth sailing like the first, I would likely be a deputy chief of staff somewhere, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't the path. Mm -hmm. And so I lasted one year, and it was during that time I started to write this book, a rough draft of a book and a workbook, ultimately, on how to get a job on the Hill. Mm-hmm. So, What's the title of that book? It's called Unlocking the Congress. And if our listeners are interested in finding it, how good, might they good do luck. so? Yeah. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Good luck. I have a few copies left. It went on Amazon. It was not a big seller. And, and I, I went to uh, the University of Virginia, mm-hmm. and I spoke to the Batten School of Political Science and Leadership. Mm-hmm. And we had 30 or so folks. And when that talk was done... I went to the bookstore. It's a beautiful 20,000-square-foot bookstore on the UVA campus. And I was looking at all of these students walking through the bookstore, and none of them were looking at the books. And here were books with beautiful covers and better content than I had and just better publishers than I had. Going for the sweatshirts and the candy bars? They were, they were skipping the books. <laughs> and, and because we are so digital now, and I said, I have to take what I've done in hard copy, and I have to make it on digital. Mm-hmm. On, on a digital platform. Mm-hmm. So that's I took all the material and I put it on timeonthehill.com. Mm-hmm. And and so if you want a copy, I will make sure you have a copy. Uh, but um, it, 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 everything is now delivered in a digital format, so you can get it on your laptop or you can get it on your telephone. So timeonthehill.com is a resource that you provide. So tell me a little bit about what you provide. You, you interview people, you help them prepare, you advise them on nonverbals. How do you help them get a job? So let's say, for example, that you'd like to go to the Hill mm-hmm. um, and you either are just beginning your process and you're not exactly sure where you stand politically, you're not exactly sure where you fit in on the Hill, you're not exactly sure which policy areas you care about the most. You And, I and can- you're not going to run for office yourself. Am I going to? No, this imaginary candidate. And this individual may or may not have aspirations down the road. Right. A lot of folks, at least 60% of the folks who want to work on the Hill, do, whether it's whether they're open about it or it's They want to run. They yeah, want to be a member. they'd like to run. So I don't know if you have this background info, but it may be interesting to our listeners. Do you have any sense of what proportion of congressmen and U.S. senators have been staffers my my understanding is that 18 percent of the current members of congress were staffers at one point or another 
Paul Ryan was a staffer. Nancy Pelosi was a staffer. A, a lot of today's leadership at one point or another served in an advisory role. That, so one in six. Common. Well, and the beautiful thing I think about Time on the Hill, I'm already starting to see people who I helped and worked with four or five years ago are now LDs. They are now going to the Treasury. They're going to transportation. They're percolating all over the place. But I do believe that one in 50 of the people that I've been able to work with will be a member. So in five years or ten of years... Of Congress or of a state of legislature? Congress. Of Congress. Well, at the state level as well. I mean, you see a lot of Hill staffers mm -hmm. leave the Hill to become members of their General Assemblies back home, whether it's Michigan or mm -hmm. the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, Commonwealth of Virginia. And then that later becomes a gateway towards I, returning yes. to Congress. I, I truly believe that in 15 to 20 years, a lot of the folks who come here today mm -hmm. are going to be members. And I, and I would have to say that in, in 20 years, I'm betting five senators, mm -hmm. which is not a lot. That's so traditionally on Public Interest Podcast, I ask about your legacy towards the end of the interview. But it sounds like we've already hit upon some of your legacy. Is that right? I have no interest in a legacy. I, I, it's just absolutely one day at a time. But the impact of your work is that they get the jobs or they start going down that path. Yes. And you say eventually yes. they may even be elected, which is to yes. say your legacy may continue to live in, in, in the statutes of, of American law. I mean, you would... I, I, I hope that the legacy, which is not policy-driven nor political-driven... It, it turns into a legacy of, I mean, the, the fact of the matter for me is that 74 people mm -hmm. were willing to meet with me for coffee or interview me for a position before I got my first job. You see, that's the interesting thing. So your first job on Capitol Hill was unpaid. You weren't Correct. an intern. You Correct. were just not paid for your I job. I mowed lawns in the morning. And that was... In Northeast D.C. So I would mow lawns in the morning. Yeah. And then put on my suit, uh -huh. and I'd come up to the you hill. You lived with a bunch of other guys? Five people. Five people there in was a house. It was a six-bedroom house. Yeah, and then, we've been there. So, yep. then, so then you and then you go and you work without compensation. Six months. And it took you 78 interviews to get to that point. 74. 74 interviews mm -hmm. to get to that point. So mm -hmm. there were 73 interviews that just weren't going to work out, and the yes. 74th, you got one didn't pay you. <laughs> no, no. So, so basically... <laughs> Um, basically what happened, I reached out to a University of Richmond spider yeah. who at one point was a staff committee staff director. Is that where you went? I went to Richmond, yes. Okay. I went to Syracuse for my master's and I went to Richmond for undergrad. And um, have, have been fortunate in that I was always proactive with reaching out to my college alum. Mm -hmm. And the, the legacy of all of this, I hope, is that and I, when I'm calling an office to ask for their guidance and wisdom mm -hmm. on helping a candidate, I will say to them openly, I had a lot of help when I was trying to get on the Hill. Mm -hmm. And so I would be grateful for your guidance as to how I can help someone else. Mm -hmm. That, I hope, is the legacy. And I would like over time to have this network that is so enormous mm -hmm. that I can say, um, call someone up and say, uh, hello, Amanda, this is Brent. I have this young superstar. Is there any any time on your schedule to to meet with him and provide some guidance? That that would be the legacy, mm -hmm. not not political. To facilitate the coffees and the connections. Absolutely, because if why you, is it so difficult to get on Capitol Hill? Why, what what is what are what is the new generation of job seekers facing? I mean, first of all, also you were twenty eight. I was twenty eight years old, and I felt very old. So you had done. Six years worth of something <laughs> right, right, between right. college. I know yeah. you went to graduate school, but you after, were... After the Hill. 
Okay. Yes. So what were you doing between college and... Okay, so um, I graduate from Richmond in 04. Yeah. Richmond had, because, you know, the capital's 15 minutes away from campus, there was a program, Dr. John Whelan ran this incredible program, and I was down at the General Assembly my junior and senior year. It was a five or six credit program, you kept a journal, and they partnered you up downtown. There was a gentleman that came to speak my fall semester senior year who mm-hmm. was a Richmond alum, and I reached out to him and I said, after graduation, uh, or at least um, before I graduate, could I do an internship? Mm-hmm. So that led to a campaign job in 04. At the end of the 04 elections... So you're doing like lots of internships. You're even returning to... I'm not a good student. I'm, a, I'm not a good student. I was not a good student. I went to uh, Newhouse uh-huh. for my master's degree at Syracuse. Went to Richmond. I uh, went to American for my MBA program. And I've never been a good student. Uh-huh. But I love showing up. So whether it's at the General Assembly or whether it's internships or whether it's being 28 years old and mowing lawns in Northeast D.C. so that I can be an unpaid legislative correspondent assistant, um, I'm your guy right now. If you say to me, I need a 27-page white paper at the Brookings Institution, you got the wrong guy. Although they said that you're a great writer. They said that I was a good writer. Yeah, they did say that. But, but, but there are people who... Um, were, were phenomenal, phenomenal writers at Richmond when they were 21, uh-huh. right? So you, I, I know my strengths. So you're taking quite a serpentine path. I wonder what Absolutely. sort of lessons learned you have to share with our listeners because things haven't been easy. I'm sure if I told 22-year-old Brent you're going to, in, in, in a decade from now, you're, you're going to have three of your uh, three organizations of your own and you're going to be guiding other people on how to get a job on Capitol Hill, you'd be like... That'd be you're crazy. And it was it is a very circuitous route because I I graduate from University of Richmond in 04 in Virginia, uh, drive down to Raleigh for the campaign season in mm-hmm. 04, then call uh, a Richmond alum who I did not know mm-hmm. who happened to be working at the MS Society in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. She puts the phone down on the desk and I can hear her say to someone in the office, "Do we still need an intern?" And that weekend, I'm driving from Raleigh to Manhattan to be an intern for the MS Society. Someone leaves the MS Society to go to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, <laughs> sends an email around. I jump on it. Next thing you know, I'm in my parents' minivan. So serendipity and connections. Well, and I think that you, you, you have to pick up the phone to call that person. And taking action. Absolutely. And not taking no for Absolutely. an answer. Absolutely. How did you... Sustain yourself without being discouraged during those first 73 rejections. Uh, I have a very supportive and loving girlfriend, <laughs> right, who was, who was backing me. And, you know, when I got my offer, she cried, and it was just, you know, so exciting. So, you know, that, that's a big component of it. Um, you know, she, she's extremely supportive and loving. That was a big deal. But the other thing um, for anybody who's serious about something is that, I I had put an awful lot on the table at that point in my life. So I had put commercial real estate, residential real estate, lobbying, military service, graduate school, and Congress on the table. Mm-hmm. 
And I started reaching out to experts in all of those industries. Mm -hmm. I reached out to Bruce Pascal, who's one of, if not the leading commercial real estate broker in Washington, D.C. And he took your call. Yes, absolutely. If you go about it in the right way, you can meet with anybody in Washington. If you go about it with respect, if you keep your request concise, if you do some footwork, if you prepare your LinkedIn account, so if they look you up, you look professional. You, You can do a lot to... Put the odds in your favor to get a very informal coffee. Mm-hmm. So I started meeting with all these people, and I would suit up and show up, and I would try to be prepared to the best of my ability, and that would lead to more meetings. So if, if you're willing to do that, you can learn a lot. You can get their wisdom. And what begins to happen for 90% of us is that you start taking things off of the table. Mm. So commercial real estate was off the table. I did get my real estate license. I went out to Andrews Air Force Base. I took the officer entry exam. I applied to graduate school. Right, huh. So you, you do the footwork. You take action, and you slowly, as, as best you can, you do the footwork. Well, when I boiled it all down, I knew with 100% clarity that I wanted to work on the Hill. If you know with everything you've got, 100% that you want something, you are 90% of the way there. The final 10% is technical. So this is what I'd like. Now, how can I get there? And time on the hill and reaching out to people who have already done it and asking for guidance from others, that is the 10%. Mm-hmm. So for me... So you are that 10% to those who have 90%. Correct. And I will say to people when they call me, on a scale of 1 to 10, how serious are you about service in Congress? Regardless of the issues that you want to work on, regardless of party, regardless of how much experience you have or you don't have because you're a sophomore in college and you haven't been in the professional. If you're a 9 or a 10, I'm your guy. If you're a 5, you have more soul-searching to do, right? Because you're not going to do all of the footwork. You're not going to do what it takes to be successful. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that, and any chief will tell you this, any legislative director will tell you this, you have thousands and thousands of colleges and universities On a national level, you have 1.7 million diplomas that are passed out every year. Mm -hmm. So the creme de la creme, and it doesn't have to be only political science majors, they want to work here. If you want to work on policy in the United States, Congress is it. There are plenty of think tanks. There are plenty of private organizations. And you were down in the Virginia General Assembly. I was down in the Virginia General Assembly. But this is a whole other ballgame. So so think about health care, for example. What exactly is done with healthcare at the state level? Medicaid, insurance regulation. You are awesome. And that health is benefits exchanges, health Medicaid, information exchanges. Yes, Medicaid, a little bit of work on the exchanges. Mm-hmm. But uh, VA, healthcare benefits, mm-hmm. TRICARE, all of Medicare, payer platforms. Do you think that when... One in three Americans are, is Medicare eligible. That's exactly right. And that all happens right here in Washington. In fact... Healthcare comprises the largest proportion of the federal budget, even greater than DOD. You, you have twenty-six uh, percent. Healthcare is number one. DOT is number two. I believe Social Security is number three, and I think that's eight, uh, eighty-eight or ninety percent of the entirety of the budget. So it sounds like, if I were to ask you, you know, what what your motivation is, because we're approaching the end of the podcast, I just like to ask: mm-hmm. Would you say it's it's something to the effect of you make people's ambitions and somewhat dreams 
you help them actualize it, you help them get there. They realize where they want to be, and you're you're kind of that guide to get them where they want to be. I, I think that's fair. I think that's very fair. And I think what what has always been important to me in this endeavor is that when I was reviewing the city, it, it seemed to me, and this is especially true in healthcare, if you want to get more money uh, as an anesthesiologist, it has to come from another specialty. So if, if you want more, I've got to get less. In our political divide, it seems to me like in the Republican versus Democratic battle, a lot of this is zero sum. Mm-hmm. And I don't like being in that space. So the way I look at it is, if a chief of staff needs a spectacular candidate, mm-hmm. and if there is a spectacular candidate who brings knowledge and expertise or will bring effort, mm-hmm. if you if you have the ability but not the willingness, that's not a good candidate. Mm-hmm. So if you're that guy, I can help an office who is seeing seeking someone phenomenal mm-hmm. by delivering a phenomenal candidate. Connecting those dots. And the bigger picture, and I know this is Pollyannish, but the bigger picture is that my hope mm-hmm. is that all of these young men and women that I've helped who now are on the Hill and who are seeing firsthand what's going on in the federal government, my hope is that in 20 years and 25 years when they are members mm-hmm. and they are leaders and they are shaping policy, that they say, I remember what was happening with all the vitriol and the lack of civility in 2015 and 2016 and 2017. I was on the Hill then, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to let that happen again. I know that's very lofty, uh, and I don't think about that a whole lot. I think about little tiny baby steps. What do we need to do next? Is it a new resume? Is it a better LinkedIn photo? Is it one more meeting? Is it video prep? It, very, very, the mechanics of it. But I, but I do hope the bigger picture is that in 20 years, we have phenomenal leaders in Congress. And that has been Brent Sullivan, founder of Time on the Hill, placement with a purpose, Hill talent, and former congressional staffer, who speaks about overcoming partisan polarity, uh, speaking to, in fact, in, uh, a mission that is uh, aligned well with Public Interest Podcast to create more dialogue with difference, more civility, more uh, of a recognition of the incredible power uh, and honor that is imbued in service to the United States. Uh, Brent spends his time advancing the public interest by uh, connecting the dots and facilitating uh, uh, a pathway for uh, both members who are serving their constituencies to receive uh, individual candidates who can better advance their policy objectives and helping those individuals who seek to serve their country to have that opportunity to do so. So Brent, I'd like to thank you for joining us I today. I can't thank you enough. Very grateful. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And please join the conversation by calling 240-630-0380 or emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.